Hey, I'm so glad that you're here. Um, as Kim said, you know, it's just a, there's a lot of places you could be on Sunday morning. The weather is nice, and you thought maybe, you know, I could go to the beach, but you decided I'm doing that after the 9 o'clock service, so I appreciate that. Um, here's one thing we want to do. Every year we want to do this. We, we know that this is a time of year as school is now getting started and things like that are sort of underway. There are some people who are so critical to the, the future of our entire society that we want to actually honor them. And those are people who work in schools. These are teachers, these are coaches, these are administrators, these are, you know, substitute teachers and volunteer, you know, PTA volunteer, whatever that is. If you are a person who works in some capacity in a school on a regular basis, would you stand right now? We're going to pray for you. We're going to honor you. People are going to clap for you. That's what this is about. I'm not going to make you sing a song. That's awesome. Help people a little slower standing up. The applause is pretty good. I'll stand up. I'll join them with that. All right, stay standing. Don't sit down. Don't sit down. Don't sit down. I see you sitting down. Stay standing. Okay, here's what we're going to do. Um, at Mariners, we have a tradition where we pray for people. Um, we just point our hands at them. It's not at all like, again, some of you are like, if you've never seen this before, it's going to look a little funky to you. Like, what are they doing? Um, in the Bible, people will pray for each other by putting hands on each other. And because it's kind of impractical in some cases for everybody to gather around. But what we want to do is this. We're just going to kind of participate in praying for these folks. So point your hand at someone near you and just kind of engage your body in praying for them just that in that way. And I'm going to pray for them. Some people are high-fiving. No, it's not high-fiving. Don't high-five. Just receive it. All right? So let me pray for you guys. We're all going to pray for our teachers, administrators, coaches, volunteers, PTA, all that stuff. Let's pray. Jesus, we are so grateful for these folks who have dedicated their lives to ensuring that our kids and the kids of our community are cared about and loved. We know, Father, there is so much that they're up against, these kids are up against, these teachers are up against, and these coaches. We know, Father, that administrators suffer an endless stream of complaining emails. We know that people who are not experts claim to be experts to them to tell them how to do their job. Would you give them peace when that happens? Father, would you help them to know that we, we stand next to them, we stand beside them, and that you are with them as they are doing more than simply teaching skills, reading, math, history, that they're teaching students how to navigate life. And in so doing, they have a sacred responsibility. Father, would you walk with them? Would you enable them to be encouraged by you, by your spirit in this week and in this year of, of teaching and coaching and leading kids? And so, Jesus, we're grateful that they're part of our community here. And it's in your name that we pray. Amen. 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 Let's give another hand. So good. Well, we are in a series um, called You Make the Call, and as we're talking about it, it's, you know, it's kind of got this coaching feel about it, but as we talk about the idea of you make the call, what we're saying is this. We know that so much of our lives, that we're, we're faced with incredibly difficult decisions. We know that there's decisions to do all kinds of things, ranging from really simple things like, you know, where do we go today, you know, after, in the heat, how do we survive it, to, you know, who am I supposed to marry, or what am I supposed to do with my kids, who's kind of, one of my adult children has kind of gone sideways, what am I, those are all big decisions. And we know that in so many ways, so many decisions aren't simply things that can be handled with little, simple, you know, just, they're, they're, they're difficult. I mean, we need more than just something smart, we need actual wisdom. What we're going to talk about today, I think is so simple. It is so incredibly practical that you might miss it. What we're going to talk about today is it's like, it's not, I mean, it's so obvious. It's one of those things, like, I think you go, well, you know, I could have, I don't know if I, I mean, I, I probably could have figured that out on my own. But the difficult thing for us when we talk about today is how do we actually put what we're going to talk about into practice? Because it's not earth shattering, but it makes so much sense. And for me in my life, some of the things that I found in my own life, 
Some of the simplest, most obvious things are the things that I miss the most and they're the things that would have mattered and made the most difference in my life. So before we get into that, let's pray and we'll, we'll jump right in. Jesus, we have um, so many difficult decisions we face as people. Father, we um, don't always know what to do. We have stories in our lives where we have not done all the right things. We have stories where we've suffered the pain of bad decisions, of poor decisions. Today, Jesus, as we gather, might this be a, a group of people who embody the picture of what it means to be the body of Christ. That we are a community of people. Whether we're new or this is our home church or whatever else it might be, whether you know, we're investigating you, that, Father, might there be a clear sense that while we might feel alone, we are not intended to be alone. Jesus, this is our custom. Would you speak to us in a moment of stillness and silence that we might hear from you, that wherever we feel the most isolated, the most lonely, you might speak to us in your comfort and in your words that, we can't, that are even beyond words. So, Father, would you enable us to sense and know that you're close and that you are at work in this silence. Father, as we've been saying almost every week, but particularly in this series, is that one thing that's absolutely crystal clear to us is that we need you. We need you. Some of us are at the end of our rope. Some of us are just enthusiastic and joy-filled. Some of us are masking the sense of loneliness and fear with a fake joy, and Lord, we want that joy to be sincere. And so would you give to us a sense of real knowledge and experience that you're close to us today. In your name, amen. Um, all right, while you, when you came in, you got, a, um, you got a bulletin in there. There is uh, an outline if you want to follow along. We're going to walk through that. Also, we'll, um, we'll kind of jump around a little bit. We'll, be, we'll start in Proverbs chapter 1, which is the very beginning of that, of that particular book. Um, but if you don't have a Bible or want to follow along, everything will be on the screen or whatever. So there we go. Um, while you're doing that, let me ask you this. This is a participation question. This is not rhetorical. This is actual. I need you to say stuff back to me. Um, which are, you know, so here we go. This is a question for real. What is something... You do not need any more of. Heat. Heat. We don't need any more heat. Someone said donuts. It's good. Yeah, what else? I like that. Good. Bills. I like bills. I don't need any more bills. Good. Someone say traffic. Taxes and taxes. How old are you? What, what, what tax bracket do you fall into? Are you like a Jew? How old are you? Are you in high, you in high school? What year are you in school? Junior, are you like one of those, are, did you just invent Facebook too? Are you worried about your taxes? Oh, okay. Wow. You guys got to get to know that guy. He's really sharp. Okay, what else? Work? Yeah, I don't need any more work. What did you say? Oh, war. Yeah, sorry. A little more somber. Stress. We don't need more stress, which kind of cope. Work, war, stress, married. Okay, what else? What? Guilt. I don't need any more guilt. Okay, I'm just not going to go in there. That's good. What else? <laughs> Say it louder. They all laugh. Must be funny. Children. <laughs> Isn't that the story of Chitty Chitty Bang Bang, where they, they, that guy gathers all the kids because they ruin everything? How dare you? No, just kidding. You must have 12 children. Okay, good. Anybody else? 
Reality TV and drama at the same time. Those both got said at the same time. Reality drama. That's true. Good. I think one thing someone, someone I was talking to, I put it to our staff. I just go, what's one thing you need less of? Or like one thing you don't need any more of? Say it right now. And they're like, right now? I go, right now. Say it right now. They go, fat. And I go, yeah, fat. Good. We don't need that again. We don't need any more of that. She's like, I don't know. Okay. I think one thing we do not need any more of is stupid advice. We are around people who claim to be brilliant who love the fact that other people might think they're brilliant. They look at, it, they think, look at themselves like, I have, the, I have the answer and I'm happy to share it with you. And we get all kinds of advice. Now, we, we're okay with good advice. It just seems like so much of what we get in terms of advice is just poor. It's not that good. And so what I want to do is this. What we, what we need is actual wisdom, which actually in so many ways we talk about, this is actually good advice. Because when we talk about wisdom, what makes it different than knowledge or just understanding though those things are critical and they're actually a component of wisdom, is that wisdom is kind of the practical applied edge of these things that we sort of learn. Because there's lots that we know, but what we actually have is this idea of how do we actually make this stuff make sense in our lives? You know, you look at the Bible, there's basically five books that are, you know, five sections of the Bible that are called, you know, sort of the wisdom books. You have um, Ecclesiastes, you have Job, you have Psalms, you have the Song of Songs, and then you have this whole grouping of wisdom sayings called Proverbs. And Proverbs, among other things, is like, really, you could look at it this way. It's a father's good advice to his own son on how to live in the world. Now, it's surprisingly and shockingly relevant. It makes sense, and it still makes sense today. It's written thousands of years ago, and it still makes sense to this day. So let's take a look. We'll just start at the very beginning. What are the Proverbs, and what are they about? Here's what it says. Proverbs chapter 1, verse 1. The Proverbs of Solomon, son of David, king of Israel. This is the dad who's going to speak to his own son. For gaining wisdom and instruction... For understanding words of insight, for receiving instruction in prudent behavior, for doing what is right and just and fair, for giving prudence to those who are simple, knowledge and discretion to the young. Verse 5, let the wise listen and add to their learning. Let the discerning get guidance. The word guidance, if you were with us last week, is a word that literally means to steer. In other words, that wisdom isn't simply something you kind of file away as a neat little fact, like a Snapple fact, like, oh, that's cool, I didn't know spiders were that, or whatever, you know, whatever. It's like, no, no, this is like a for real thing that enables you to aim your life. Not just trivial pursuit, for those of you who are, you know, born somewhere before 1980, uh, and not just simply jeopardy. It's like these are things that you go, these are things that actually affect the way that we live. So these are for guidance, steering. For understanding proverbs and parables, the sayings and the riddles of the wise. And then it says this, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. Let me stop right there. So you have this whole explanation of here's what this is about. It's going to tell you how to make good decisions and how to live and steer your life. And then it kind of concludes, this opening paragraph this opening kind of setup this prologue to the whole entire book ends with a parable which is just this it's really simple or not with its own proverb it says this the fear of the lord is the beginning of knowledge which gets repeated later on throughout the, the whole entire you know writing but there's a second half of this because what solomon's saying or at least how he's been credited as saying is here's how you want to live son you got to do some things you got to avoid some things what we're going to talk about in here is how you make right decisions and there's a kind of person you have to avoid. And he highly, just a little sort of hint about what's to come at the end of verse 7, and it says this. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge, but fools, there it is, but fools despise wisdom and instruction. So there's this, there are, there's a category of people that are known as wise people, and there is a category of people who are known as unwise people. And what you begin to see is these are the people you have to, in the world for whom you have to watch out for. You don't want to become one of these people. 
I was watching, uh, uh, this is before a Super Bowl a couple years ago, and I'm watching an interview with Mike Tomlin, who's the coach of the Pittsburgh Steelers. And his, his like locker room sort of off the field behavior speech, which, you know, the NFL needs a lot of off the field behavior speeches right now. But what he tells his guys is just this phrase. He says, hey, here's the deal. When you guys go out and do whatever it is you're going to do, whatever you, he just goes, don't be that guy. That's his whole thing. Don't be that guy. And like the whole idea is if you have to ask which guy you're being, you're that guy. You're being not wise. Don't be that guy. And you could almost see a dad here saying this to his own son. Just don't be that guy. And what he says here is, this is really critical. What he says is what we're going to talk about, like I said, is so incredibly practical. It makes so much sense. It's the thing all of us want who are parents for our own kids. It's the thing we dream about and hope for for them. And it comes out of this verse. It's in Proverbs 13. It says this. Verse 20. Walk with the wise and become wise. For a companion of fools suffers harm. Walk with the wise and become wise. For a companion of fools suffers harm. I mean, if our kids could just get this, parents, am I right? If our, if our kids could just get this, you know, choose good friends. Be around people who make good decisions, who are wise, who help you make wise decisions. Don't hang around morons. Don't be around idiots. You know, be around these people who are brilliant. Now, I know all of your kids are not idiots. It's the other kids that aren't in the room. It's like all of your kids. Brilliant. But, you know, they should all get together. But how many of you have ever, I mean, just in your own mind, can point back to a mom. This is just a hand. I'm not going to ask you to say it out loud. It'll be too embarrassing for you. But how many of you in your own life could point to moments in which you have done stupid things that you regretted because you're with, <laughs> already a hand up. Good. I like that. Responsiveness. We've got taxes and early responders. Way to go. How many of you have done stupid things that were only done because you were with other people who were acting lame? Oh, some of us have only hung around wise people our entire lives. <laughs> wow. What's it like? Um, anyway, when I was, I was, I was thinking, <laughs> anytime I was going to tell some story, I'll tell a story, but when I, every, every time I start a story with, you know, one time in college in my fraternity, the next thing I say generally has a 50-50 shot of being super dumb. Um, but one time in college when I was in my fraternity, we had this, some of, I've told the story before, but my, <laughs> one of the things we, we were supposed to do as pledges was to go out and fight. we were supposed to decorate for this, this big event, this big party. And so what we did is they said, well, it's, it's kind of this tropical theme. And so we need to get a bunch of palm fronds. It's like, well, they're, and they, you know, they, we kind of look at them like, where do we get palm fronds? And they go, figure it out. So we got a flatbed truck. And we put everybody in a flatbed truck. High school students, don't ever do this. Okay, I know you're here and you're like, this sounds like so far this is a great idea. It's not a good idea, okay? <laughs> Get in a flatbed truck and everybody has to lay down in the back of the flatbed truck. I was the most responsible they deemed. So I had to drive this flatbed truck full of like 30 guys who, you know, are in the back laying down in the dark of night. We go to an industrial park in Culver City. And everybody in the, in the truck is armed with a machete. It just gets better and better. Does this not just get better and better? <laughs> And so, <laughs> not gardening tools, machetes, because, you know, how, why would we have gardening? Now, we're in Culver City. We're running through the, the trees, at, and we're just, we just, just start, I mean, pillaging. <laughs> we're just, just killing these trees. So there's, like, these beautiful palm trees. By the time we're done, they're just sticks. I mean, they're just sticks and stuff. Now, eventually, someone calls the police and says, there's a gang of, like, 30 guys around here with machetes, and we don't know what they're doing in this industrial park. So I don't know how much of the Culver City police force decided to descend on us on that night, but there we were, all of us. We stripped all of these trees, 
And they're like, they're just, I mean, and the police were actually, because these are pretty hardcore police, they actually were like, I mean, they work in L.A., so they're like looking at us like, what did you guys do? We, did, we just came here with the machetes, we were cutting down the trees, that's all we did, I promise. They're like, okay, everybody line up, let me get your names. All, they took all of our names. And I'm, I was like, I, I so badly wanted to just say, I don't know these people, I don't know what I'm doing here. <laughs> just with them. When I was in high school, my buddy had, <laughs> was in the car with my, my friend and uh, him and his, well, I was with them, but I didn't do it, of course, which doesn't matter. They started stealing, like, traffic signs, like road signs, like, you know, merge signs and stop signs, or whatever, which is a felony. <laughs> didn't know that. So I'm in the car, like, we're just in the car stealing signs. I'm just here. I'm not doing anything. And sure enough, like, there's no police to show up, thankfully, uh, although that would have been a good lesson, high school students, like, you know what I mean? Okay, but we go, my, my, uh, my friend's dad goes to the back, he drove this big van, he goes to the back of the car, and there's these stacks of road signs. And, I'm, and he looks at both of us, and he goes, what'd you guys do? And I, I, I was like, I, I wasn't, I didn't. he's like, it doesn't matter. I'm getting busted no matter what. I was just there. Somehow or another, the idea of associating with stupid people gets us into trouble. We do things that are unwise, and we're with people that are unwise, that are foolish. Conversely, when we do things with people that are wise, we actually become wiser. What's interesting to note in this passage is there are this, this, this verse. is that it doesn't say if, you, if you're a companion of fools, you become a fool. It says you suffer harm. If you're with people who are wise, they make you wiser. But if you're with dumb people, you're with fools, you just end up getting hurt. You get up, end up getting hurt. The image I have in my head of this is the, the word picture. In fact, I was going to show you some video, but I couldn't get any video that was like, like probably. Anyway, I was gonna, the, the image I have in my head is of crowd surfing. Some of you don't know what crowd surfing is. There, I looked it up just to try and figure out when it was invented. Like crowd surfing is essentially, it usually starts with a stage, stage dive, though not necessarily, where someone would be lifted up onto a crowd of people at a concert and then passed, usually to the stage and dumped into the security area where people escort you out of the venue. But that's generally how it works. Like, yeah, I'm surfing. A lot of times you'll have a, um, you have a, like, you know, uh, a, like the, the lead singer of a band will dive out into the audience. So I'd like to demonstrate that. Could you guys just get, no, just kidding. <laughs> But they'll dive out of the audience and hopefully they'll catch them and then they'll pass them back and that's kind of how that works or whatever. And I want you to just think of this image. If you've never seen it before, it's a picture in which people are holding someone else up. And in all the like YouTube videos, there's lots of people wearing GoPros, now GoPro cameras, and they're being crowd, they're crowd surfing. And you get the picture here of how great this is. And then you, you kind of get this sense here every so often. Somehow the group has its own sort of hive mind, just sort of all together thinking in the same way. And they just decide to drop a person. Like, woo, this is awesome. And you can see it even on like the, the GoPro, like it's sideways and you hear a guy yell, oh, ooh, my GoPro, hey, my GoPro. And, and then back up on it, say, hey, lift me back up. And they go back up again. They surf around the crowd again, over and over again. Now I want you to imagine, just stay with this image for a moment here, that we are, we are all people in some capacity or another who are already presently crowd surfing. That we are carried by the people around us, the people with whom we associate. They're already carrying us. And the question we're looking at isn't, do I want to or not sort of crowd surf? There's an asterisk by this, we'll come back to it in a minute. Well, the question we're asking really isn't, am I really actually, am I, am I really crowd surfing or not? Because some of us, we'll get to this in a minute, aren't at all. But most of us are crowd surfing. We're being held up by people. What kind of people are those who are holding you up? Are those the people who say... I'll take care of you. I'll guide you in the right direction. Are they people that say, on the count of three, we're going to drop this person? And won't that be hilarious? 
The Apostle Paul writes in his letter to the Corinthian church, he says this in 1 Corinthians 15. He says, don't be misled. Bad company corrupts good character. Bad company corrupts good character. Notice that's in quotes. This is what Paul is quoting. He's quoting from a famous play, a Greek play. That's about 300 years old at the time he quotes it, but it's, it's a line everybody knew. It's a line in the ancient world that you see repeated over and over again. If you're around people who aren't super wise, who are acting dumb, it's going gonna, it's gonna to mess with you. The point here is that everybody already knows this. The issue for us is how does it actually get lived out, and that's where wisdom is activated, when it's actually lived out. When we make the call, not simply to say, oh, I know I shouldn't be around those people, but we actually start living around wise people. So let me ask you, who's holding you up? You think, you think about the people in your life that are holding you up, that literally have you over their head, holding you up. Are they holding you up? Or are they holding you back? Are these the people that you go, I could go far with these people. I could, there's something we could do together. Are these people you go, I don't know how much longer I can sustain this because I'm afraid I'm going to get wounded. In the book of Proverbs, there's like three people who will fall into the category of unwise. There's, so there's, all, there's you know, this instruction that's given by a father to a son and to all these people who would read it. It's practical wisdom for actual living in the real world. There's, this, there's wisdom for, there's wise people. And then there's three people described who fall out of sort of the wisdom parameters. The first one is this on the back of your outline if you want to take a look at it. First one is this, the simple. This is an ignorant person who is naive. We don't need that scripture yet. Um, that's a person who is naive, who is, doesn't know. In fact, the Bible is actually pretty soft on these people for the most part, for a while. I mean, it's like if you had to compare the three people, this is someone who just doesn't know. They just have no idea about how to do stuff. These are people who are unaware. Generally, they're described as young or young-minded. Children are this kind of way. They're simple. They don't know any better. There's the simple. And to, the, to those, the proverb says this. It's not in your outline, but just for the reference. Now you can show the scripture. Proverbs 3, 5. Some of you know this is one of the first scriptures you might have memorized. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not on your own understanding. In other words, you think you know, you don't know. God's got wisdom for you. Trust that instead of your own stuff, okay? Then it says this. This, this, is, this is my favorite of these, but the, there's, there's a fool. A fool is someone who's this. It's a fool is someone who says, it's not just someone who doesn't know. It's separated out from someone who doesn't know. It's not someone who has a low IQ. It's someone who is willfully disobedient. God has a way. There's a way I'm supposed to do stuff. I'm not doing it. I know what it is, and I'm not doing it. I don't care. I don't care. And, I'll, and no matter how many times I get hurt, it doesn't matter. No matter how many people I hurt, it doesn't matter. I don't care. I know what I'm supposed to do, and I'm not doing it. Here's the scripture. <laughs> I just my favorite. There's lots to the fools that are written in Proverbs. This is my favorite one. Proverbs 26, 11. Can we show that? As a dog returns to its vomit, so fools repeat their folly. High school students are like, I can memorize scripture. I got that. As a dog returns to its own barf, like, and then like, oh, hey, look, snack. I mean, like, that is what fools do. How, we, I mean, this is what a dumb person, this, this is a willfully disobedient person who goes, wow, I did that, that hurt. Let me try that again. Then there's this last group of people. The mocker. The mocker is someone who's not only willfully disobedient, doing stupid things over and over again, but this is a person who looks at people who are actually living wisely and makes fun of them. Here's what it says about a mocker. This is like the most insidious person. Check this out. The proud and arrogant person, the mocker, is his name. 
He behaves with insolent fury, which, you know, insolent fury, I'm like, man, I really had to get out the thesaurus to figure out insolent fury. I just looked up some of the translations. Here's what this looks like. He deals in proud wrath. He lives with arrogant pride. One of the Proverbs says, if you try to correct someone who's a mocker, you're going to die. They're going to hurt you. They're going to attack you. Now, these are people we're told to kind of stay away from, live differently than these people, get away from them. The trouble for us is a couple things. One is every single one of us could probably identify ourselves in those categories at any different time, maybe all at the same time. There's things we didn't know that we did that were dumb. There's things that we continue to do that we know are dumb, but we don't care, so we keep doing them anyways. And there are people around us who are doing things in a wise way, and we make fun of them. It's us. But there's something else. The Bible has this instruction, and it talks about how do we live. And how are we supposed to live in this world? Here's what it says in Romans 12, 1. It says this. Therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you'll be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. Verse 2 says, don't conform to the pattern of this world. In my mind, as I look at this verse, this is a clear example of how are you going to crowd surf? There is a way in which people are lifting and hoisting people up over their heads and it is causing them pain. And when we look at the patterns that govern this world, these aren't governed by wise people, the patterns that are set up in the world. It's not set up by super wise, wonderful people. It's set up and established. The Bible will repeat this theme over and over again by the simple, by the fool, by the mocker. And we have to decide. We can't simply look at the world and go, well, the world's doing that. That's cool. I guess I'm in. For some of you, if you're new to church, you're investigating Jesus, you're not sure about this church, but you thought you'd come in, you heard about our free mints. I know, big incentive to come today. You know, we had mints at the door if you got here on time. Um, but maybe you're looking at this going, I don't know what I'm supposed to do, but you're caught up in a life and in a world in which you go, how much longer can I sustain this? I'm living my life according to what everybody else is doing and the conventional wisdom of the world is beginning to run its course and it's not actually wise. It's beginning to be a little bit more difficult because the world says these things. Just give you a sense. If there's mutual consent in certain things, if it's legal, if it's permissible, if no one gets hurt, if it aligns with my own personal inward desire, then all of that makes it wonderfully okay. Those are the patterns of this world. How do we not conform? Now, some of us will do this. A couple reactions. Some of us will just cloister away. We'll form our own little secret bubble society where we can run and hide, and we don't let anybody else in who could poison it with their foolish talk and their worldly whatever. We kind of hide away, some of us. Some of us go on the offensive. Some of us start attacking the world. This becomes our posture. But there's a reason, the reasonable person would clearly say, you know, let's just, let's just avoid it all. Let's just avoid all these people. We're going to hide out or disappear. And you're like, but I won't, you know, what well, the deal is, I'm, I'm going to run away from these people and I can form my own life and I'll figure out how to handle some stuff. And, and what happens then is this. 
Yes, there's a, reason, there's a reasonable person who avoids foolish people. That's what we all should do. But that becomes, a, it gradually can morph into a lie. And that lie is this. The safest place for me to be is alone. What we start believing is if, if crowd surfing, so to speak, is something that could be inherently dangerous, then the safest place for me to be is to not be lifted up at all, to hide out and live by myself completely alone. And yes, there'll be people around me, but I don't ever want, I don't ever want to have them actually do anything with me because for me, the safest thing to do is to be alone, to be isolated. And we have all kinds of ways we do that. Like I said, some of us, we sort of attack people. Others of us use humor as a defense. I don't know anybody who does that keep people at a distance some of us will try to figure we'll react in anger which keeps people at a distance all people but what we start saying is i just want to be alone others of us will talk about other people behind their back others of us will fake a kind of niceness just to kind of keep people away from us we'll fake that everything's okay so we don't have to talk about stuff because we're afraid of being lifted up you know the bible anthropology research psychology science they all say that that lie is just a lie You are not intended to live alone. There's one group of people in this room who suffer with this more than anybody else. There's one group for whom this is so incredibly difficult to deal with. There's a group of people in this room who they cannot, they just have the most difficult time getting over the idea of being isolated and being held up by other people. Men. That's the group. Guys, we do. This is our deal. Somehow or another, we learn the idea that other people threaten us. They challenge our own power. We're told from a very young age, the most important thing you can do, guys, is to be someone who's completely independent, who can solve their own problems, who never utters the words, help me. And that only when we're at our absolute worst in our life can we able to look at someone else and go, I don't have this under control. Can you help me? And generally when we do, We're speaking out of such shame. No other options. I couldn't solve this on my own, own, so I I need you. Can you help me? Shame. Guys are some of the most lonely people on the entire planet. We believe that we're unable to ask for help. We believe in so many ways that the most important thing for us to do is to simply stand on the sidelines, to not be affected So we react in anger, we react in distance, we react in some way or another, we react with all kinds of other ways to not have people close to us. People threaten us. You know, um, not too long ago we had, well, that's funny, it's a long time ago, we put ceiling fans in our our, our family room area. It's like the worst circulated area in our house. And so we installed some ceiling fans. And the way they had to, you know, wire it, they have to cut out the drywall of the ceiling and then they, you know, you put stuff in there and you set up everything and wire it and all that stuff. Well, we've had holes in our ceiling for three, four years. And for a while it was like, well, we're going to, we're going to, you know, eventually we're going to, we're going to put the, you know, like put the, fix the drywall in the ceiling and then we're going to repaint it and do the whole thing. And we just kind of became less and less a priority. And sooner or later... It became something that we don't even see anymore in our house. Because we don't really care anymore. It's like, well, that's a big, we'll get to it at some point. It's not like it's expensive. It's just we just haven't gotten to it. And we don't even see it anymore. Now, there's some people who come into our house who don't notice it. Those are the simple. They don't even see it. Is that a skylight? Yes. Put your sunscreen on. 
There's some who come in and they'll say, that what they'll just say is, why aren't there more holes in the ceiling? That's so fun. There should be all kinds of holes. This is so, why does anybody ever do this stuff? Who cares? And there will be some who come into our house and go, how dumb are you guys? Man, you're dumb for not, for not, you know, for doing this, but man, how dumb are people for even trying to fix stuff? They should never fix a ceiling because who cares, right? Not only who cares, but why is people wasting their money on having a house that actually functions? <laughs> Stupid, right? Now, here's what I want you to understand. There's something that kind of transcends all of this, which I want you to capture, which is what we've done in our own life, which is basically a foolish thing. It's an illustration. It's to say that there is something wrong, everybody can see it, and we say this phrase, this way that we self-soothe, which is, we can live with this, it's fine. I've gotten along so far in my own life, stretch out the analogy a little bit here, I've gotten along so far in my own life, and nothing's really made that much of a difference, so it doesn't matter, it's fine. I can do this, it's fine. I'm fine, we, we're fine with this, we can get by. And it's a principle we apply to our own lives, especially guys, we go... Yeah, there's some stuff in my life. Am I proud of it? No, but I've gotten this far. I'm fine. It's cool. We can live with this stuff. It's not that big a deal. And so we simply think to ourselves, the most important thing we can do is avoid, avoid fools and we'll be fine. But there's another component here which we sometimes miss. I have a really good friend of mine who I'll tell him about ideas I have or things that I'm doing or things I'm considering or even, you know, bigger issues in my own decisions that I'm making in my family, in my life, whatever. And the first thing he'll say is, who else did you talk to about this? The very first thing. And I'll say, no, no one. I looked it up on the internet, you know, or whatever. I just read a book or something. I don't know, nothing. And they go, really? You didn't talk to anybody about this decision? You made a pretty big decision there. I know, but I didn't want to talk to anybody. I, like, all, all of a sudden, I'm like, oh, man. And he'll just say simply, why didn't you even ask me about this? Did you want to not talk to me about this? No, I didn't want to talk to you about this. I didn't want to ask for help. We live in a society, this isn't just guys, we live in a society where we're, what we're told is you should solve this on your own. If you can't solve it on your own, well, then don't bother anybody else with it. The church does not function in that way. The church doesn't function in such a way in which we say, if you've got issues, well, that's tough. We say, well, we all have issues here. If you've been with us for any length of time, you've probably heard us say, this is a place for people who do not have everything together. If you are looking for a church where everybody has everything together, it's not here. We screw up, but the truth is we screw up and we need each other in the midst of it. We can't solve every problem. We can't handle every situation, but we can certainly be in stuff together. These are people whose hearts are intended to be aimed at Jesus, as Jordan said earlier in the service. We're not going to get everything right, but we get to do it together. So how much longer do you want to say, I can live with this, I'm fine. It doesn't matter that there's something wrong that everybody else can see, that I know it's there, I'm fine. How long do you want to live with it? Proverbs 9 says this, do not rebuke mockers or they'll hate you. Rebuke the wise and they will love you. In other words, these are people, wise people are people who can be told, you know you have holes in your ceiling? We probably could do something about that. That's what a wise person does. They can hear it and receive it and go, oh yeah, thanks. I didn't, you know what? We've let that go and I've got to take care of that. That's a wise person. Who looks at other people and says, you can tell me that stuff's not perfect in my life. And there are others of you in this room, or some of us, we have the sense when, you, when we get told things aren't right, we turn around and mock other people. I am that person more often than not in my life. I do not like to be told. That's not working out. 
I don't like when people say, you know, Jeff, there's something sort of not okay with what's going on with you. Generally, what I'll do is I'll turn around and I'll find a way to make fun of them. I'll get angry. I'll bury it in my, I'll kind of hold on to a little scorekeeping sheet in my, I mean, that's what I do. But the church is designed to help people become the way God intended them to become. It's imperfect people struggling to figure out what it looks like to follow Jesus, to move toward him, to do that kind of thing. And here's what it says in Proverbs 27, 17. This is like the banner verse for all men's groups everywhere at every church ever. It says this, as iron sharpens iron, so one person sharpens another. This is why so many, you see like lots of men's, like as I travel around in different churches and stuff and see stuff, there's like lots of different men's ministries that have like an anvil or a sword or a hammer or whatever. It's like, yeah, iron and iron and sharpening. That's what we do, we sharpen each other. What's, it's a good principle here. The process by which a sword becomes sharp or, or you know, the, the, some, the way in which a, a, um, something is, is actually shaped into its intention is actually not, not a real smooth process. It's actually pretty tough. And a wise person says, I need some sharpening. One of the things people ask me a lot about is, how did, how did you kind of survive your college experience, Jeff? You know, you're in this fraternity, but you, you didn't go crazy. You did some stupid things, obviously. I told you some of those things. You didn't go crazy. How did you do it? Well, it was because I was in my fraternity, but I wasn't relying on my fraternity brothers, who were all friends of mine, to accomplish the shaping or the sharpening of my own life. I did that with a group of guys from the church that was about eight miles away. And I got together with a couple of them. Some of them were in fraternities, and I was like, you guys... I can't do this by myself. Can we be in a group together? And it pulled me through college. I absolutely would not have made it without them. Let me ask you, because those guys were in no, no uncertain terms, they were holding me up. Who is holding you up? Some of you need to allow some people to hold you up right now. You're, you cannot go any further on your own. You think you can? You've said it's fine, I can live with this, it's no big deal, but you need to be held up. We have a mechanism for that. It is called rooted. It is a way in which we say, all right, it's a bunch of people who not every one of them, no one's like God, no one's like God at all together. Everyone's kind of a little bit of a nightmare in some capacity, but we're all going to figure this out together. We've all got stories, but God is shaping us. And there's some people who facilitate this group who have gone a little further down the road, and they're not judging you know, attacking kinds of people. These are people who just go, well, I've, I've made some mistakes too. I've been down that road. Let's talk about that. Let's talk about what God's saying to you. Everybody who ever has gone through Rooted, I've never talked to a person who said, you know, that was kind of a waste of my time. Everybody says, this has shaped my life. I found people who cared about me. We didn't know each other at first, but we started to figure out we had a lot in common. And a lot of it had to do with us just having a history of making some poor mistakes, poor decisions and finding our way forward. Learning about how God actually loves people like us and wants to shape us into something different. Some of you have been through the rooted experience and you loved it and you thought it was great and then you're kind of, the life group idea kind of, you know, you're like, yeah, I love the idea of a life group and then all of a sudden it kind of faded away a little bit and you forgot how good it was. Which means there's a group of people, you've been through rooted, now it's time to be in a life group. Not a life sentence group. So you're like, I don't know if I could do it my whole life. I just want to like, you know, do it for a season. Do it for 10 weeks. Do it for a year. See what happens. What God does. But you cannot be on your own. Others of you, you have gone through the rooted experience. You have, uh, or, or in some, yeah, you've gone through the rooted experience. It changed your life. 
and you said, that is so great. I love being a part of Mariner's Church. That's what the, I get all what Mariner's is about. I now just get to sit for the rest of my life in church. I have met, I have met the minimum requirements, and I just get to hang out here forever. Okay, you could do that. Here's the deal. There's another part of this whole idea of being held up. It's that you also have a sacred responsibility of helping to hold other people up. It's a strange thing that the, the, Jesus refers to the church as the body of Christ. This is the, what's referred to as the body of Christ. People make up the body of Christ. And yet it is the body of Christ, as we talked about communion in a little bit, which ultimately rescues people who are in the body of Christ, which is a really strange, weird way to think about it. But you are a part of God's work in bringing people to him. And some of you are like, I don't want to do that. I just want to come to church. I like sitting here. The band is good. Their album comes out on the 21st, which is going to be really fun. And it's loud, but it's really good. And then there's like, then there's, you know, the, the teaching, which I can tolerate. And then I just go home. You are not being held up and you are not holding anybody else up. The church is built on volunteers. It's built on people who are passionate about this kind of stuff. Some of you need to go and sign up to be a rooted leader. You've already been through rooted. You know what it's like. You're scared because you don't know how to do it. We'll help you. We will train you and you could be great at it. You need to do it. I talked to someone in our children's ministry who said this week, she goes, we're trying to really take some next steps to our children's ministry. We want to do some great stuff. And um, we need the people we need. To, this won't be surprising to you. The people we need more often than, any, more than anybody else, guys. We need guys to lead fourth and fifth graders. They, this is such a critical time in their life. We need guys to step up. And so I said, I'll be praying for you. And then I didn't tell her I was going to do this, so she'll be excited about I made an announcement because I don't always do that. But some of you are in here going, I remember what it was like to be a fifth grader. It's 10 years old at some of the most, critic, most critical times in people's lives. Do you want to step up? Do you want to hold some people up? Body of Christ, supporting and holding the body of Christ. That is what we do. Now, the way in which the early church celebrated this idea that people who have made bad decisions, who are people who are mockers and fools and people who have who are simple and don't understand things, the way that they did, the way they celebrated what the church is all about is that they said, Jesus has gathered these people together, this group of misfits that nobody else wanted. Jesus has gathered these people together and has given them a home and an identity with each other. And the way in which we're going to celebrate that is with something called communion or the Lord's Supper. Sometimes it's called the common table. It has all the language of togetherness, being together. And in a moment, you're going to see some instruction come on the screen, tell you what to do, but basically you're going to get a chance to come forward or in the back, there's some stations in the back, to take communion, to do this together. And what you'll do is you'll walk up and you'll you know, dip a piece of bread in the, cu in the cup and you can eat it right then. You can take it back to your seat if you want. You can, the only thing I would ask you to do is just don't leave. Don't like, I got my snack and I'm going to the patio for ice cream. Okay? Hold this moment sacred. Let's respond together. Now, here's what I want to do. One of the things I was learning over the summer as I was doing some reading and stuff is um, I'm learning about different kinds of, of like prayer. And basically, what, there's, there's a couple different kinds of prayer. And, you know, I don't understand all of it. But there's prayer that I learned, basically, which is like close your eyes and like, you know, put your head down. And that's the way I always pray. We generally pray, pray that way. Or stare at, the, you stare at your shoes or whatever. Just don't look up, you know, whatever you do. God's super angry if you do that, evidently. 
And the other kind of prayer is a prayer that's sort of expressed in such a way that it's arms open and eyes open. Like, you're not, you know, like you don't have to do that. I mean, but just like the idea of like, it's a big open celebration kind of prayer. So I'm going to ask you one last time. Who's holding you up? And who are you holding up? You can be certain that you are not holding up God and that you are not holding him back. That he is holding you up through the body of Christ, if you allow him. So let's do this. Hold your hands out like this. Open your eyes. Don't close your eyes. Some of you are like, I don't know. I grew up in a church. Or if you open your eyes, there's a lightning bolt waiting for you when you walk outside. <laughs> Hold your hands out. Your eyes open. We're going to sing and respond. We're going to take communion in just a moment. Let's pray. Jesus, we are a group of people who are learning what it means to walk in wisdom. Father, we want to be held up by great people. And we want to be people who can be relied upon to hold up other people. Jesus, we know that we are not perfect. We know that we are not wise. And we're grateful that you would come and give your life for people like us, who are fools and mockers, who are simple and who need you. And so, Father, we take communion as a group of people who are in that place, eyes open, celebrating at the table, grateful for what you've given to us. And so, Jesus, we pause, we consider all that what you have given to us, we take communion together. Amen.